At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently, so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan, so you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring in the Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. Can I go? Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to another edition of Bring in the Closers. Ryan Ray alongside my good friend Ben Samuels. Ben, how's it going, sir? I'm doing fantastic, but more the more important question, Ryan, is how are you doing it? You had you had a harrowing last couple of weeks. Can we talk about it? <laughs> Yeah, let's just recap here. Let's just recap. I went down to, we've been on for two weeks, I guess. I went down to Nicaragua, come back for four days roughly, and then hopped on a plane, went to China and came back. That's kind of the, the short version. Was that what you're getting at? Uh, we are, but let's talk about that step-by-step because I do want to hear about Nicaragua. I want to hear a little bit about why you went down there and how that was, um, and, then, and then we can get into some other things. But first, let's talk about Nicaragua. Yeah, so we work our company, and then uh, me personally do some stuff with a group called Compassion International. And so they go into uh, not all countries they have certain criteria, but uh, one of the criteria is that the uh, the World Health Organization has to deem it as one of the most impoverished areas inside of countries, so whatever that standard is. And so they go down there and they offer um, um, after-school programs for some of the worst impoverished kids in the world. And Nicaragua obviously has some of those demographics. And so went down to Managua, spent a, spent a few days down there. And of course, if you've ever been around extreme poverty, it is a, uh, a tough pill to swallow, especially when we're sitting here and all these lavish things that we have. And, um, uh, but got to spend a few days, uh, hang out with a lot of, a lot of cool kids. And, uh, and so that was what I was doing down there. And then, uh, yeah, had the quick trip to Jano. So that's kind of it. Okay, um, so on that point, let's uh, let's dig a little bit deeper, if if you will. Um, high level, how is China? Any any like any major blips on the radar? Any anything like that you want to talk about? You know, good, bad, <laughs> different. Um, um, I mean, there's 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 a lot that happened in China. you're gonna. <laughs> I mean, I flew in, took some trains, flew out. A lot of news broke while I was there. You know. So, so let me do this a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you able to negotiate the trade deal? It depends on what you mean by the trade deal. So upon my return, and I post this on LinkedIn, thank you, you're welcome, America, China did announce they are going to tighten down the IP theft, which has been a big sticking point. And not fa- this isn't phase one negotiations. We're talking about later phases of the trade deal. They have already come to terms that they're going to have to do that. Um, as far as actually executing the document, I had Adobe sign and fill on my phone, ready to go. 
was happy to print it out or do it from my phone. Uh, Donald didn't send me the thing, so I didn't get it. it. I didn't check my spam folder, though, so it, it could be there. I just didn't look in the spam folder. So I, I can't confirm more than I. So, okay. Um, true or false? You did or did not have a run-in with some um, legal authorities, I guess? Um, were you or were you not questioned by some entity of the Chinese government? I was. Yes, I was. Do we want to talk about it? We can. We can. I mean, I, I wanted to put it out in a PR release, but, you know, what better way to... <laughs> just, this this announce our podcast, yeah. <laughs> we just cut it there. Go to the next... All right, so introducing the guests. Okay, and take... <laughs> I, um... I am now uh, officially known as an international arms dealer. I didn't expect that to come out of this trip, but it but it happened. Um, it wasn't the way I would have liked to step into the space personally. But Ben, as I've talked about, when you look at your circle, you know when you see opportunity that fits into your circle, you've got to take it. And the international arms, illegal arms space, uh, presented itself, and I was up for the challenge. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. If the listeners haven't picked that up yet, that's 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 core to the mantra, um, and we're just going to leave it at that. That's okay. Um, but uh, so no, I'm I'm, gl- I'm glad to see you back. I'm glad that you uh, that you came back unharmed, unscathed, um, you know, mentally, physically, or otherwise, I suppose. Uh, and it's uh, it's good to have you back. I, I, I missed you. Oh, I missed you. Uh, missed the show. Missed the listeners. I will tell my detainment story because I know you want me to. And so let me um, let me give you the high level of what happened. Um, essentially, I like any good American carries a pocket carry a pocket knife with me just about everywhere I go. Obviously, I don't do it on planes because they frown upon that. I'll put it in my check bag. So I flew to China with a wait. Will the Chinese listen to this and come back and? retroactively <clears throat> let me not let me not say what i flew to china with let me just skip all that i entered a train station <laughs> should i cut that section from the tape right no no I, no I can either confirm nor deny what i entered the mainland with okay. all i will admit to is what has been proven well allegedly proven on the record um <laughs> i let me just say this i went through a metal detector at a train station and there was a knife in my back okay a nice Kershaw knife. Kershaw, if you want to sponsor the podcast, reach out. A locking blade, fast oh, fast action Kershaw blade was in my back. How I got there, that's, you know. I thought we weren't going we to talk about it. I, I'm not going to talk about it. I don't know how I got there. I'm just saying it's it was there. It was there. Oh. I don't know okay. how I got there. It was just there. So, so now you're claiming conspiracy. Got it. Okay, keep going. And well, I mean, I might know how it's got there, but I'm not saying if I know it. What what if the the triads or triads or whatever put it there and my my life's at risk? You don't care about that, do you, Ben? Um, there was a locking, yeah, there was a locking blade knife in my bag. So I go through security, and they're like, "Hey, I'm cutting out the translation part, but essentially, they you got a knife uh, in your bag, me." stunned that there would be a knife in my back, um, was like, I don't know, let me look and see. And of course, wow, there was a knife in my back. Kind of caught me off guard, if I'm being honest with you, which I'm not. It caught me off guard. And so um, 
pulled the, they pulled the knife out, uh, or I pulled it out and handed it to them, and they opened it up, and I was like, hey, it's a fast-action knife. I, I assumed it was fast-action. It was a fast-action knife. And um, so they, they opened up the fast-action knife. No one was injured in that process, which is important to know because fast-action knives aren't necessarily a problem, but locking knives are illegal in China. And, you know, so they said, you can't take this on the train, which I was like, well, I'll put it in my bag. I won't get it out. Try to sweet-talk them. Sweet-talking through translators doesn't work. We talked about conveying message. I put my hands together, kind of bowed, trying to show my sincerity. Didn't get me anywhere. Um, so after that point, they they confiscated my knife. I thought, okay, well, whatever. Kershaw makes quality products. Again, if they want to sponsor the podcast, makes quality products. I can get another Kershaw knife back in the States. It's probably manufactured in China, but whatever. So you can't bring a product manufactured from China to China, but that's another show. So we then go, th- we, that was security, so then you go around and kind of make a U-turn and you go through ticketing. So they check your passport and your ticket and this, that, and the other. So we did that. And then you kind of go to the main part of the train station. So we're standing there. This is probably five to seven minutes after they've confiscated my knife. And a, um, a gentleman who, I don't know if it was authentic or not, but he had it on a police uniform with a badge and all the stuff, comes over to me. And um, he's like, hey, did you have the knife? Uh, <clears throat> And, of course, I, I, I said, yes, That what, there was a knife in my back. You are correct, sir. He said, well, you are coming with me, essentially, is what he said. And um, so they take me out of the train station into this little kind of parking garage. Um, and then across the parking garage, and it's, it's, it's a narrow parking garage. It's not like a six-story building, but it's like a you know, narrow parking garage. In this little side building where another gentleman dressed up as a police officer was there waiting for me. And... At that point, Ben, I was kind of frustrated. You know, I was like, okay, there it is. They're picking on the poor, innocent American who had a knife planted in his bag. And, you know, they're going to try to frame me for for something. More frustrated. And um, so they start talking back and forth. The translator, and I say translator, this gentleman was more than a translator. He was, uh, you know, did a great job on the trip, did a lot of good stuff, but he was serving as a translator as well. And so they're talking back and forth, and he's telling me all this stuff, yada, yada. I'm like, okay, whatever, just let me go. And they're writing up um, this ticket, this little ticket, the whole time. And so I'm like, okay. And so um, I'm asking about my visa, is going to pack my visa. And so I wasn't really worried until, and this is how it came through on the translation, carrying, carrying a locking blade knife into the public area is a serious offense in China. That was the sentence or sentences that got translated, and then that was kind of the end of the communication. So there was about a 60 to 90 second gap where I began to wonder, would Trump have to like call in SEAL Team 6? Do I get a lawyer? Do I get a free phone call? Am I the biggest man in the Chinese jail? What are my odds? You know, how do I, you know, how I you know, navigate these streams? Like, you know how you, all these thoughts go through your head. And I was genuinely concerned because I didn't know once they separated me from my translator, I was, my Mandarin is like two sentences. And none of those sentences have anything to do with anything other than I like either I want fried rice or I want fried noodles. Like that's really, I can't get beyond that. So um, unless they're going to ask me a lot about fried rice and fried noodles, (laughs) I was really in trouble at this point. So then the next sentence was something to the effect of, but since you're a foreigner, we're going to let you go with an oral warning. And then I was back to being frustrated again because, like, well, okay, come on, guys. We got a train to catch, yada, yada. Ben, they gave me, what was it, three sheets I brought in here, Nate? They gave me three sheets, the little official write up slip, two forms. And um, so this this whole process. You're going fr- to frame those, right? I'm going to frame the little yellow one for sure. The other ones are kind of big, but yeah. 
they scan my passport with a knife, like you know it's going to go on trial, you know. So, um, um, and so I'm like, okay, this is this is kind of silly now, guys. You just you know, you gave me the you gave me the oral warning. Of course, you're writing up some ticket, and so they're kind of going back and forth, and I'm kind of frustrated, and um, I decided to stop at this point when I said they um, they want me to sign it. I made the translator read it to me, make sure I wasn't admitting to killing Kennedy or. Lincoln or renouncing my citizenship. You know, I didn't know what I was confessing to, so I made him read my my, my, my admission of guilt. And uh, according to the translator, it was you know carrying this very deadly weapon into an open area. And um, and I said, do I have to sign it? And the translator just looks at me and says, yes, you have to. And I said, no, you ask them if I have to sign it, which he really wasn't enthused to do, understandably so. But he did, and they said back to me, we're giving you a verbal warning. We don't want this to go any further. I took that to mean as sign the paper. So I signed the paper at that point, and then we were we were on my way, and we were no longer detained. Um, so yes, I was detained in China. I have been outed as an alleged international arms dealer. Um, I was trying to keep that under the wraps. It's alleged, though. It's still alleged. So, so two things. Number one, you actually told more of the story that I thought you were going to on air. But so, listeners, uh, you, you get the goods. Number two, as a follow-up, um, so if you if if something similar were to take place in July in Spain, like I'm not like supposed to like wait for you, right? I can just, I mean, I can leave. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do they speak Spanish in Spain? Because if so, I've got a little bit more Spanish than do I want fried rice or like fried noodles. I got a few more lines. Like, where is the closest Burger King? <laughs> <laughs> if something happens the, the question is if something happens in Spain very similar will they then go like to Interpol or some joint communication system and pull my Chinese record that's the real question because you might have SWAT involved the, the National Guard or police might come down it could get tense listen if you get a red notice placed on you I'm leaving the country without <laughs> you I'm sorry I'm, I'm, com- I'm coming back home <laughs> You know, um, for perspective, for perspective on this uh, terrible crime that I allegedly committed in China, um, I asked, we asked what would happen if I was a Chinese national. And to, to, after this was over, we were talking to him. He, I was told that it would probably be a, a, a fine that you had to pay on a first offense. The second offense would be between, I think, 15 to 20 days in jail. For carrying a knife in in public in China, lock blade knife. If it doesn't lock, it's okay. Lock blade knife. So, um, you know, I mean, Ben, I, like I said on LinkedIn the other day, I've negotiated a lot of things, and this is, you know, my my own release was not one of the things I expected to negotiate on this trip, but I successfully did that as well. I mean, those labor camps are no joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I got to thinking though. You know, I, I, I'm what five eleven, six foot, two hundred seventy pounds. I might do well in Chinese prison based upon demographic numbers. Just demographic numbers, I might I mean, be one well, of the bigger guys in the camp. I, I couldn't speak the I mean, language, but you'd come back to like five eleven, like one seventy. <laughs> but... <laughs> you know, so um, so yes, I was detained for allegedly carrying a lock blade Kershaw knife in a public area in China. I, I do have that on my record now. Kershaw, if you want to sponsor. Kershaw, yes. Out, yeah, Kershaw, if you want to yeah, sponsor, yeah, please, yeah. please, um, 
you know, we can re-edit this podcast to, you know, spin it however they need to. But yeah, Kershaw, we'd be happy to. You know, have. Kershaw should at least send me a replacement, right? The only knife worth getting arrested for. Now, the irony of it all is that VPNs may or may not be illegal in China. Depends on who you ask. Um, don't ask. That's what I would say. But if you have a VPN, then you can actually go on the train and order your replacement knife, which is maybe what I did. So I did order my replacement knife on the train after being released as a show that I'm a liberty-loving American, and uh, I wasn't going to be stopped. So You, you rebel. You know what? I told them. I said, you know, I'm just trying to spread freedom here. That's all I'm trying to do is freedom and liberty and justice for all. And so... Uh, so yes, Ben. So I negotiated my own detainment, my own freedom. Um, that was kind of top priority for me. Sorry, I didn't get the trade deal done. You know, freedom was kind of a, a top priority for me. Um, Hong Kong, obviously, I swung the vote for the Hong Kong elections. That was done while I was there too. Um, the leaked documents, leaked in air quotes, came out about the concentration camps of the Muslims in China while I was there. I mean, I mean, what else do you what else do you want me to say? Hey Nate, uh, when you're uh, when you're cutting this thing, uh, I know how, like usually you come up with pretty good titles. I think this one should just be the Ryan story or the Ryan show. Do 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 I need like an autobiographical like author to write this into like a best selling novel? Like get like a maybe get like a spy novel out of this. If you had like ridden, if you had like ridden horses up the mountains in the snow with Kim Jong Un or something, like maybe. But this is you know, I'm not it's, really. Sure. It's not ready for spy thriller novel. Not quite. And he spice it up a little bit more. Uh, I, can yeah, spi- I can spice it up some more. You'd have to add at least a couple of explosions. A couple explosions. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You've oh. got the corrupt police officials in there, though. <laughs> like a like a, mo- like a motorcycle ch- chase or yeah, so, like sky, sky di- skydiving or so, like so, like something. Was, Subway yeah. chase while stab someone explodes. with a chopstick. Yeah, you know. There you go. So let me ask you guys this. Let me just ask you those guys this. If the what, you're not going to use the Kershaw knife. Well, they detained it. I'd have to go with like my chopsticks while I was in prison to escape. You know, pick, pick the lock with it or something. Um, let me ask you guys this. All serious question here: If the story would have broke, American detained in China, and then you see my big extra large melon that fits like the box can barely fit it in. You see my melon on Fox News or MSNBC. What would crime would you think I would have gone down for? And you can't say international arms smuggling because. I, it's alleged that I smuggled arms, or weapons. Um, you, you you can't say that because that's kind of on the table. But give me you know um, a couple of scenarios which you could have seen me going down for in China, like in, inciting rebellion within China and like you know defaming Xi. They're going to put you in prison for life. <laughs> I mean, like as a baseline, I think that's a good place to start. Knowing Chinese law, theft for stealing a hotel sign or something <laughs> I, I like where ben's was you're, you're like you stole the door hanger yeah <laughs> i like where ben's was that's a spy novel you're like well he would you know he stole the he didn't pay for the internet you know <laughs> yeah mine's a comedy what's the big deal oh yeah so it was this close i mean you're, you're- you're caught looking at some like hacktivist website off your VPN, like you know. I, my, I have no, 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 no. I did not. I did not say I had a VPN. Never once did I say that. If I did, please edit it out of the podcast. I did not admit to having a VPN. I don't even. I can't even spell VPN. Let's just. Let's just. I didn't, I didn't even say I brought my cell phone. I didn't even say I brought my cell phone. Okay. Just don't listen. I was. How did you order the knife? 
So let's talk about <laughs> what let's happened. Let's back in the let's United States, about... right? You've got the NSA monitoring yeah. now instead of the Chinese. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, so let's talk about something else. You know, Did you get busted for weapon smuggling while you were over here doing whatever you do in your mansion? Uh, no, I had none of that excitement. Um, s- settled into the uh, the new place down in Midland. Um, oh yeah, speaking of that, I noticed you're in. A, yeah, for the listeners who don't see the video, you're in a different wing. It looks like a different portion of the mansion. Um, is this like a additional house you added on? Is this like the west wing, the east wing? You upstairs in the basement, like in these fourteen thousand square feet. Where do you? Where are you lodging? How far? How many square feet away? More or less than five thousand. Between three to five thousand away from where you were last time. So I don't know if the listeners can see this, but um, I just realized it's a teddy bear. Yeah, the teddy bear is there watching uh, on the podcast. Um, In answer to your question, here's the great thing. Last week, I was sitting literally about two feet that way off camera and facing the other direction. So it looks like a whole brand new room. But now I'm I'm like, yeah, just efficient use of space. You're rebranding yourself. That's what you're doing. I have very modest accommodations. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Last week, you're kind of in a corner. This week, I see some... Uh, you, do you realize that if somebody like, from the IRS is listening to this, I'm going to be getting phone calls? I hope so. It's like, no, no. I, t- I hope so. <laughs> well, you were having those large bags of duffel, uh, large duffel bags of cash you were moving around before we got on. I didn't know... What you're doing with all that's that or not. not? That's not important. That's not important or relevant to this conversation. I don't know why you're bringing it up on air. I just want, I just want to be, the record be clear that when I go down for something by the U.S. government, they will play this recording against me. I just wanted to be clear that they will bring this up in court that I admitted to be a weapon international. I did not admit to it. Did I admit to it? I'm not admitting to it if I did. No, you're I'm an alleged so, international arms dealer. So here's the problem with that statement, because I mean, while true, if you were ever to actually go down for something, you would be screwed because there's hours and hours and hours of you talking that's recorded. I mean, like whatever whatever it is that you did, like there's going to be evidence to back it up. Let me just just put it out there. And I have insulted every politician at every rank from local city councilman to presidents. So, yeah. And, and, And yet you just went to China on behalf of who again? Oh, it was strictly for myself. I was trying to make some money off this deal. Don't get it. Don't get it. Don't get it mistaken. I was looking for the Presidential Medal of Freedom or something. You know, that's those, those are speaking gigs that you can get for the rest of your life. But you didn't even close the trade deal. I, you know, I got detained, man. That, that's what it was. It makes sense now. The Chinese were sending the message. They're not ready to negotiate. Let's detain him, rough him up a little bit, shake him down, plant a Kershaw knife in his back, a lovely quality Kershaw knife, fast action lock blade, black this, Kershaw knife. This went, off, this went off the rails quick. I, Yikes. I, <laughs> it makes sense now. I didn't think about it from that perspective, but they, were, they probably hacked my email, deleted the email from Trump. It makes sense now. It, it all... It all it's all coming together. You know, I didn't think about it until you brought this out. This is why I like talking to you. You bring out the good stuff. Hey, Nate, if uh, when, if you do any, like, SEO, can we make sure that uh, President G is, like, highly, highly SEO'd, so hopefully this goes across his desk somehow? And so I, I'd like to, I don't know, this, this, could, this could be interesting. I'm, I'm planning to go back to China in the spring. Um, I'm working on the, the details of the trip. I will not no, have arms not. or weapons or knives. <laughs> I, I, I'm just getting on the record now. I'm just getting on the record now. If I'm detained, 
let it be known. It's for something else. It's for explosives. Something you actually did. <laughs> yeah, something that I, no, wait, wait, no, 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 nothing <laughs> that I did. Now, the, the, the funny thing is, is there's cameras everywhere in China. I mean, everywhere. You go down the street, there are cameras on all of the light posts. And one of the people from the delegation was talking about jaywalking. And there are folks jaywalking everywhere. I don't know if I actually jaywalked because I don't know the Chinese law on jaywalking, but it is possible I might be getting a few citations in the mail for jaywalking. It is possible, theoretically speaking. How would they, how would they send it to you in the mail? Um, facial recognition technology. They probably inserted something into my drink, and there's a chip inside of me. Hack my phone. I don't know. I mean, there's a, a plethora of ways they could track me down. I have nothing. I got nothing. I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm, it's not often that I'm speechless, but that, you, yeah, I got, I got nothing. Uh, well, no, but it's, it's good to hear you had a good time. Uh, you know, maybe you can uh, bring some oil and gas deals our way. Was I supposed yeah. to talk about oil and gas while I was there? That was... I mean... Mm. I mean... Mm. Well... I mean, we already covered that you were distracted. You were being detained. detained. But I mean, I was detained. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to fight uh, off like thirty Chinese guards to get out of there. It was, it was pretty gruesome. So, in anticipation of our guest going on here in a few minutes, um, let's kind of uh, transition a little bit and set the table. Um, I'm curious. I mean, so you actually let's let's do it different way. You've been uh, the I forget the title, but in business development for the bare knuckle boxing for a couple months now how's that going what's the what's the news what what should the listeners be looking out for yeah so the the director of international affairs is the title um and kind of where we are at is we're working on it looks like south africa first um obviously with my recent um trips and um, stuff like that i haven't got to spend a whole lot of time on what we have uh what we have you know where that's at. I'm supposed to have a call with um, one of my fellows down there. Hopefully this week, but Thanksgiving might mess it up. But you know it's interesting because um, I did talk to some folks in China about maybe doing a show in Macau that is on the um, bare knuckle radar. So we are working on all that. Now this is obviously these guys at Smash Global kind of do uh, black tie MMA and maybe boxing as well events. And so it's gonna be interesting to see because that's, that's a different business model. A lot of things you see in the in the space on the regional level, which is kind of anything sub Bellator, is very much dependent on ticket sales and um, sponsorships. So much so that if you, you know, if you're a fighter and uh, you want to get on a lot of cards, you know, you've got to be able to sell tickets. You got to be able to bring people to watch your fights. And obviously, at the highest level, you see that the headliners are the ones that sell tickets but they also you know they get a brand behind them like ufc and people want to go watch a ufc card um so i I am curious those dynamics and then the other thing is ben um you know we talk about you know roi and value i'm curious how um from the promotional side of the space you know how they bring back those 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 deals to their advertisers you know how do they um convey that message because you've got to be able to convince people to sponsor your, your product and be able to not, not guarantee, but uh, make them feel comfortable with the fact that, yeah, you know, um, you sponsor this, this, this event, then there's going to be some, something, something in it for you other than just spending your money. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, you know, they're, this is no small time operation that they have going on. I mean, I'm sure we, we may talk about it, but uh, they have a, a main event in uh, December, I believe the, the 19th in Hollywood. Uh, and there's some, you know, some pretty big names. So it seems like a marquee event and that's, it's a, it's a serious, uh, you know, I know that you and I have talked about some, some ideas kind of revolving around that space. And it's going to be interesting to uh, kind of hear the story. Cause I know, uh, you know uh, Steve, who's going to be coming on, uh, and joining us here in a bit has you know he has a Wall Street background. He's got a finance background, and and then was an, uh, a fighter. Uh, it kind of come full circle, and now owning this business is going to be really interesting to kind of hear him talk through that. And I think he's going to have some interesting perspective. Yeah, and one of the things it looks like that they've done a good job of is getting a lot of um, VIP type partners. You know, and so if you kind of go to their website, which we'll link to in the show notes, smashglobal.com. I believe it's under the honorees. And so you see Mel Gibson, Chuck Liddell, Sugar Shane Mosley, um, Ivan Drago, that's not his name, but, you know, from Rocky, um, you know, Mickey Rourke, um, let's see here, Ernie Shaver, Steven Seagal, uh, Freddie Roach, Tito Ortiz. You know, those are a lot of big names, not only in the fight business, but also in the um, entertainment space. And so I, I would imagine that's played a, a critical role in um, – in, in their success, because if you can get the kind of the celeb background, the celebs to support what you're doing, then it kind of gives that instant credibility. We were talking yesterday offline about something, and um, it was a conversation around, um, you know, getting stuff done. And you know, if you have the right, if you have the right um, network, you can get things done easier. And kind of my comment was, is that, oh, yeah, oh, that's easy to say. Of course, if we all had the back, right background, we could get stuff done easier. But building that background to be able to have the right network, that's the, that's kind of the hard part. You know, it's, <laughs> if we all had, you know, multi-billionaires in our, in our portfolio that we could call, well, of course, yeah, we close all kinds of deals. But if you don't, you have to kind of work that spot. So I'm curious how he was able to build um, a good foundation to where people would be willing to associate their name with his product. Yeah. You know, I'm curious kind of, you know, to that end. I'm curious how, uh, how integral to that process was his Wall Street background. I mean, he, he may have rubbed some rubbed elbows with some interesting people through you know through that as well. Okay, and up next we have on Steve Orozco, who is the founder and CEO of Smash Global. Steve, how's it going today, sir? I am great. How are you doing today? Doing great. So Smash Global Sports Entertainment, give us the 30-second elevator pitch on who you guys are and what you guys do. Oh, okay. I am a fully professional licensed or sanctioned MMA organization, just like the UFC, but I cater to a more niche demographic um, instead of going after the, you know, I like to say this, um, walking on eggshells. MMA is still a very NASCAR oriented crowd. Tap out t-shirts, Bud Lights. I want to get the Formula One crowd to come watch the sport live. So it's black tying gowns, a lot of celebrities, red carpet, um, a very much more elevated ticket uh, price point as well. Okay. And we raise money for charity. Okay, great. We'll make sure we'll write that down. Um, one of the things I was talking to Ben about before you got on here was, um, obviously I have some dealings in the fight business as well, but nowhere near the scale you do. Um, one of the things at the regional promotional level, which I'm describing as sub-Bellator for sake of conversation, so UFC Bellator is kind of above the regional scale. Uh- Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. 
Today, I want to talk about... Pete, heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Um, b- below that, you kind of have more regional markets where you might have even an LFA, but you have um, XTO or, or Legacy or um, you know, whoever it is, uh, aka that, that's putting on shows. And at those levels, the things that they really depend on is the fighters to sell tickets. That's from the bottom level amateur all the way up to the main event because they have a hard time um, generating sponsorships. So you're putting on black tie events, which means that you're appealing to a more high end scale crowd, probably a lot more corporate crowd. Um, a, what made you decide to go that route? Um, and B, how do you walk um, you know, advertisers uh, or, or uh, sponsors through that process and describe to them the ROI in working with you guys on a show-by-show basis? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what. The hardest thing for me is not the ticket sales. It's actually the sponsorship sales because, you know, back in the day, it wasn't hard. It was a this is what I have. Do you like the platform? Do you want to be a sponsor and be a part of it? And advertisers would be all for it. But now in the era of, you know, analytics um, and all the stuff on the back end, they want to see what your reach is. You know, so when I have a show, you know, I'm only talking about 300 people to my event. So I keep it very exclusive like that of a, the size of a wedding. So for me to get sponsors is much more difficult than even a regional show. Because the regional show, you figure... You have a thousand people, let's just say, you know, and if you're on, let's say UFC fight pass or on fight TV, at least you have some kind of analytics to go by. Whereas my, my event, because exclusive, you know, I have to go after the luxury brand. So I've had car, usually it's um, auto. So auto is always my number one, because in my ballroom, I can place um, vehicles. So I've had, um, I've had Lamborghini as a sponsor. I've had BMW. Um, I've had Porsche as well, so they can bring their vehicle, they can place it, they get a vendor booth because I have a lot of celebrities. I make sure those celebrities also go to those booths. So if a sponsor is giving me, let's say 50 grand and then all of my on reef and I'm taking a picture at their booth or by their car, they're getting the exposure that they want and they're getting the content that they want. So I have to really base it on the content and the, the allure, like the the media, more so than, hey, you know, if 2,000 people come, you're going to convert A into B, and hopefully this is what your sales are going to be. It's a much different approach for me. It's a little more difficult. Yeah, one quick follow-up on that. Um, One of the things I've seen at the the, the regional shows is, and I've talked to some promoters about this, is that, you know, they're selling tables for maybe a thousand bucks or whatever. And I'm like, you know, you guys, in my opinion, um, obviously the fighters at the regional level, you have some maybe former UFC guys or former Bellator guys, but most of these guys are unheard of. They're, they're guys that you don't know of. 
But if you if if I'm going to a regional show and I'm paying a thousand bucks for a table, bring the fighters out to me or let me go in the back and shake their hand, take a picture, and because if I'm bringing my my you know my employees or my clients, I want them to feel special. Um, and so it sounds like you're kind of taking that and, and, and maximizing that through the celebrities and the other ventures. And I'm sure that. Um, you don't have to measure that ROI if you're getting your picture taken with Sugar Shane Mosley. It's kind of self-explanatory. I agreed. It's funny that you mentioned the fighter aspect because I do it kind of the opposite. I tell all of my fighters, I say, listen, when you guys are done fighting, get your ass back in the ballroom. I don't care if you're still in your fight clothes or if you want to get changed into a suit or whatever and go mingle with the crowd because this is your chance to network with the demographic you've never probably networked before. And the, the most beautiful part about it in me as a fighter, what's what makes me happy is every celebrity and every guest wants to take pictures with the fighter. Cause the fighter is actually the real celebrity of the night. Cause these people who come to the show, you know, they can't even normally name three UFC champions, you know? So for them, they just see these fights and they, and they see these guys up close and personal and uh, when they're done fighting, they have such an admiration for them. And it always makes me happy because it's exposure that these fighters would never get, you know. And just like you said, with regional shows, and I've, I fought on a lot of these small shows. And you're right. You have a contract. You have to sell. If you want to get paid, you need to sell 25 tickets and show that you're marketable. And uh, that's the only re- reason why people are in that room, because nobody knows any of the other fighters. It's only your friends and family coming to support you, and that's it. And once you're done fighting, everyone pretty much leaves, <laughs> you yep. know? Yep. Hey, uh, Steve, I thought it was really interesting, uh, you know, on your website, uh, and you just alluded to it just now, but, you know, you, you made a point on, I think it was in the About Us section, you made a point to talk about the fact that networking is something, you know, very core and, and you know, extremely valuable. And that's something that Ryan and I have talked about quite a bit. I was curious, uh, you know, kind of to that end, um, if you could talk about, you know, uh, I was looking a little bit into your background. Uh, you came from a Wall Street background. So if you want to talk about that a little bit, you can. But I'm just kind of curious, in terms of the networking perspective, how would you say that's kind of helped you come, you know, go from where you, you know, where you started to, to where you are today? Yeah, man, networking is literally everything. Um, you know, the whole, the, the cliche of, you know, your, your net worth is your network. And it's really true. You know, for most people will never be in the top 1%, right, in the de- of demographics, but you can within 20 people in your network be in that 1% if you all collaborate and work together. And, uh, and when I started Smash Global, I was really forced to network on a level I've never networked before because I'm going after a new target audience who aren't MMA fans. So it was really about me selling myself and it was all word of mouth marketing and in Los Angeles and in LA, you, you know, you have, you're exposed to so many media, so many celebrities and a lot of people who want to be in the spotlight. And uh, in order to do that, you really have to put in your work. So it was for me, grind all day, hustle all night. When I say hustle all night, I mean, you know, networking groups and seminars and conferences and happy hours and just meeting people. And you realize that, the, the upper echelon, you know, the, the white collar, for example, they have so much respect and admiration for athletes, especially fighters, because those guys generally say, well, I'll use Wall Street as an example. All the guys on Wall Street, they're alphas. You know, it's always a, excuse my language, a dick measuring contest, but none of them are fighters. 
And those guys love fighters. They love Mike Tyson. They love knockouts. They love blood. So because of it, they have so much respect because they would never get in a ring and never get in a cage in the first place. Yeah, that, that makes uh, you know a ton of sense. I think you're absolutely right. Um, so, so what are some of the ways, uh, you know, kind of going back to so, so something Ryan talked about, I'm curious, what are some of the ways that you kind of approach almost, you know, creating a culture, I'm going to call it, uh, you know, around your events and kind of, uh, you know, put, you know, put the right people in the room, so to speak. How, how do you, um, you know, because that's not something, I think that that's something that a lot of people take for granted, but that's not something that, you know, that yeah. comes easily or, or is organic. So kind of, how, how did you, uh, you know, go through that process? If you kind of talk about that a little bit, we'd, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I honestly think so with networking purposes, a lot of it is pay, always pay to play, especially at the top, you know, because there are so many net, networking groups out there and lunch and learns and meet and greets. But the problem is, is the majority of those are basically people just handing out business cards. They're not adding value. They just want business. But when you join legitimate clubs and networks, let's say, whether it's your country club or whether I was a part of a group called Karma, um, Karma International, and uh, they were a networking group, and it was all you know black tie events. It was like I don't know five grand a year. It wasn't that not a whole lot of money, but everybody was a white collar, you know. And we did all these things together. So you really have to find those groups. And there's so many ways to network. Um, like one, and this is over the top. In case you have people that are very wealthy, let's just say listening. You know, I always use the Lamborghini approach. You know, I love exotic cars. I don't own a Lamborghini, but if I were to buy a Lamborghini, it would, be, it would be for networking. So you buy a Lamborghini, you lease one, you can lease one for like $3,000 a month. Now, over the course of a year, it costs you $36,000 plus whatever the insurance cost is. If you have one of those, you can join Lamborghini groups, you can do cars and coffees, and you will end up being in a group of... Uh, of all Lamborghini owners and exotic car owners. And if you can't get your, say, $40,000 or $50,000 back because of that, you're doing something wrong. If you, you can literally use a Lamborghini as a way to drum business at, at, a, at a decent price, to be honest with you. No, that's, <laughs> that's, most people, that's great. Go, but, sorry, go ahead. But, most people, but most people don't want to, you know, uh, not, yeah, most people don't want to pay to play. You know, it's like, for example, in L.A., people join the Soho house, which is, I don't know, I think it's like four or five grand a year, you know, and you join it. I mean, you could go eat dinner anywhere in LA, you know, and the food's better than Soho house. So people join Soho house because now you're in a club of people that you're going to see all the time and interact with. And it's just a different, you know, commonality because you really have to bring this day and age, you have to be relatable with others and, um, and, and kind of create a brotherhood, which is why some of these groups are so important. So again, a Lamborghini club, those that you develop a brotherhood. Yeah, that, that's the Lamborghini thing is, is a really a brilliant thing. I never have thought about it from that perspective. Um, so I'll be looking up Lamborghini rentals when we get off here today, get Ben to subsidize <laughs> it for me. <laughs> we split it bid half the yeah. month. But, you know, one of the things uh, I told the story, I think, on the podcast a few episodes back about how I kind of got tied up with the with the bare knuckle guys. And I want to get your perspective on this. Um, you know, I've managed some, you know, regional type fighters, and but I have, I do some international business. And so I would talk to the promoter regularly about, hey, is this of interest to you? 
if this is interesting to you, outside of the, the fighter things. And eventually, when I brought up some international connections, that was a very, uh, that, that kind of struck a chord. Like, hey, yes, this brings value. And I, I think, you talk about bringing value. I think one of the things that, that we struggle with is um, it, it, when you look at your, your network and you want to engage with someone who is white collar, to use that term, um, it seems like too often we go in and we say, well, this is what I do and this is who I know and it's one thing. And you pitch that one thing and it doesn't work. But then we don't think about the other things that we might you know, the people people we might know or connections we might have or experiences we might have. And it, sometimes the bringing value process to me has been a, a, a deal where it's not necessarily your strongest thing is what everyone wants. It's kind of working through the different things and expanding your thought process and going, oh, okay, wow. Um, the, the fourth thing on my list is actually what brought value to this person. Um, does that, is that kind of how you've, when you deal with some of these more, uh, white collar type people, is that been the similar process for you or has it been, no, you got a product, you got a service, you're, you're pitching this and it just kind of comes out naturally and it works for them. Yeah. I never, ever, ever talk about myself when I meet someone, I let them do all this talking first. And when they ask me something, that's when I kind of dive in. I never want to be like, I never want to say, oh yeah, I was a pro fighter or yeah, I own this pro MMA organization. I did this or I did that. I kind of just wait for it to happen organically. Now, I remember when I first started this company, my wife, you know, cause my wife, she knows I was in finance. And when I was in finance, you know, it was, you know, dial for dollars. It was trying to close right then and there and get appointments. Whereas this day and age, that doesn't work anymore. You, you just can't do it. People don't even want to pick up the fucking phone anymore. I didn't want people coming over unannounced. So, um, you know, so my wife would say, Hey, why don't, you know, you just, you just went out and had a meeting. Did you close them? Did you get this? Did you get that? I'm like, babe, no, it doesn't work like that anymore. Sometimes I have to literally meet with someone four or five, six times, and then something will divulge. And, and, and a friendship happens with that as well. And you create this, you start relating to each other Then you, the person wants to be supportive with you. And honestly, I'm the kind of guy that if I don't like you, I really don't want to do business with you. So when I do this organic approach, I end up becoming friends with people and weeding out the people I don't even want to do business with anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point. I think that Ryan and I both would, would echo that uh, very strongly. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you uh, I think the goal is to find people that you want to do business with, but you also can develop friends with, just like you said, uh, Ryan and I both, you know, I think all three of us are, are in a, a pretty, I would imagine it's a pretty small minority of people that really have an appetite to, like you said, I mean, have conversations or, or develop a relationship based on just, you know, at some point we're going to stumble on something, uh, you know, as opposed to you know, having to kind of be hinge on success right out of the gate. Yeah, I agree 100%. And again, it's just a it's just a different era. You know, 2019, so you figure like 20 years ago, it, it was completely different. You know, it was the boiler room, it was the wolf on Wall, Wall Street. But now people don't like that approach. And, I, and I'm glad because I prefer the approach now because I like building relationships. Yeah, I mean, I think Personally. to a degree, uh, you know, I think to a degree, uh, you know, with people like ourselves, we kind of, you know, we've seen, we've seen and heard all the sales tactics. And so when someone else is trying to sell us, it's like, you know, listen, I'm, I'm five steps ahead of you as it is. Like you, you already lost me sort of thing. If it's just someone trying to sell you, but you know, if somebody, uh, you know, service provider or otherwise, you know, reaches out to me and it's looking just to, you know, have a conversation uh, and then organically we, we get to, a, uh, you know, 
get to a transaction, you know, that, that's, that seems like a lot, you know, that seems a lot better for both parties. Agreed. And, and, and the referral process, because I'll tell you one thing that I never liked when I was in finance, you know, anytime you close somebody, right. They, or even if you didn't close someone or you had an appointment with someone, you know, your director, whoever was above you would always say, Hey, make sure at the end of that appointment, you ask for a referral. Hey, I helped you. Is there somebody else in your family I can help? Like that for me was always uncomfortable because it's like I'm overstepping and I'm asking for more. Whereas if you build a relationship with somebody and you're actually friends, that person now trusts you as an actual human. So if you do business together, that's awesome. And then you can still ask them anytime or they'll actually want to to open their book for you and help you just like you would them because you built that relationship. But again, knowing problem is just, it just takes longer. It's a, it's a hard road to become easy approach. Instead of an easy road to become hard. So I, w- I want to shift gears here for a minute. Um, as a promoter, um, we talked about kind of the, the advertising side. Let's talk about the, the, the fight side. One of the things that I've had to – I have some frustrations with how, especially the MMA media, talks about promoters. Um, you know, the UFC and other promotions obviously aren't without fault. But the, most reporters – and this isn't just a MMA problem. Most reporters don't actually understand business. And so they talk about things as far as business goes. It's really outside the wheelhouse, um, which then gives the fighters a bad understanding of how business works because most fighters don't understand business. So when you're negotiating these contracts with fighters, it makes it tough because, A, you have a media who doesn't understand the, 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 the things that they're dealing with. Um, and, B, the fighters understandably want to make as much as they can. I get that, but how do you go about that process when you're dealing with either you know fight managers or fighters of communicating actual value and, and saying, okay, hey fighter, um, listen, I know you want thirty thousand to show and thirty thousand to win, but the reality is your market value is X, and how, so it's it's kind of the same thing with um, the advertisers is they're the sponsors. It's kind of well, there's metrics here. How do you communicate that message where a you still can get them to fight and you don't hurt their feelings, but b you're also saying, hey, listen. Listen, I'd love to pay $10 million, but that's just not the market. Yeah, it, it, it's actually a much easier sell for me because all the guys, all the people who fight for me, they can't even, for the, for the most part, none of them sell any tickets because they don't have anyone in their demographic that can afford those tickets. I mean, me being just completely honest, most fighters don't have that network because most fighters don't know how to network themselves which is so frustrating. I say it all the time, even when I was fighting and I said it on an interview recently, you know, I remember when I fought for an organization and I had to sell 30 tickets for a show. Now all the other fighters would complain about having to sell 30 tickets. And me, I was the guy who was, wait a minute, if you can't sell 30 tickets, you're not marketable. If you're not marketable, then why does, why would the promoter want you on their card? It's not just about how good you can fight in the cage. You have, to, you have to bring value to the show. And yes, of course, but fighters don't think like that, you know? And, and again, they also don't network because they're not thinking about what's happening after they fight because it's almost like you're, you're coming to the conclusion that I'm not going to fight forever. I'm not going to be rich like Floyd Mayweather. I'm not going to be a legend. So it's hard to think like that of why you need to network and build your circle, but you need to do it while you're, relative you know and everyone likes you and everyone wants to be around you because like i said um before in this in this interview people love fighters people want to be around fighters people want to be around athletes period 
You know, an NFL guy walks through the through through the doors, even if he's not an, an all pro guy, but they know he plays for the Giants. People want to be around that person because it's just a respect and admiration. And that's one thing that fighters lack. Their social skills suck. Like they can't see the marketing aspect, which is why I don't love Conor McGregor anymore, but why I was such a fan of the way he did business because he was the guy that showed how important it was to market yourself. Well, you know, and on that, I think um, one of the things that, that shows that is, uh, you know, Britain Shop has a very popular podcast and talks about, you know, MMA and boxing. And if you remember the first Logan Paul KSI fight, he came on afterwards and, you know, I think they did like 800,000 pay-per-views. And he, he said, listen, if they can do 800,000 pay-per-views, anyone can do 800,000 pay-per-views. You guys don't need Dana White. And I remember thinking, okay, well, these guys, I don't know what they do other than YouTube, really, but they're uploading YouTube videos once a day, probably once a, three to four times a day, or whatever they're doing. So they got to record content. The content's got to be good. You got to want to watch it. Uh, they're repeating the process over and over and over again. They're building a huge audience. But the problem is, so they're doing a lot. Of, they're, they're, they've got the networking part down. The problem is for Logan Paul and KSI is they, they don't have anyone else to fight but themselves. Like, <laughs> you have to have an organization. You have to have fighters coming in. There's so much that goes into it. Um, and so for a guy like Shab, who's very successful post-career, he still struggles to understand how the – or he's uh, wants to, to deny it. He still struggles to articulate what's actually going on. And so I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head that um, the, the fighters – I don't know if it's a lack of, uh, I don't know education is the right word, but a lack of understanding or they don't have the right networks. But there's so much that goes on to running a promotion or a business that it, it feels like the fighters are almost underserved by the uh, the public. And they, and they would help the promoters out. Like you said, if you can't if you can't sell 30 tickets, then no one wants to watch you fight. And that's a, that's a sad reality. Absolute truth. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, so we're getting, I know we're getting close to our time here. Um, ben, I will let you get uh, the last question in, sir. Yeah, I mean, so I guess uh, to wrap it up, I'm curious um, if you have any, you know, just any advice in general about you know, someone trying to, you're trying to network themselves as someone that doesn't have the skills, you know, what are some kind of, you know, what are some ways to, you know, overcome the anxiety or, or just be, you know, be effective, kind of, kind of give us some tips on, on networking, talking to people, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I really think that, and, you know, I'm so sick of saying some of these same words because you hear them all the time and all these different podcasts and, um, and motivators. Right. But I really think that whatever it is that drives you, like whatever you're passionate about, is what you have to have your conversations around. So if you go and you meet someone, you have to talk about your passion because if you talk about your passion, you will have literally zero anxiety and you will glow as you speak. It's when somebody goes to go network or speak to someone and they're like, oh, I got to get their business and I want to talk about my real estate company. How do I enter? Yeah, then you're going to get anxiety beforehand. But if you just go in and talk to someone like a normal person, like going to go talk to your best friend, and just shoot the shit, there's no reason to have anxiety. But I think a lot of people have the wrong approach. You can't be so structured and it's all about business. Don't even think about business when you're going to talk to somebody. Just know that that's the end, re- that's, the, that's the close, that's down the road. Okay, that is wonderful. Smashglobal.com is the website. You mentioned you do some charity stuff. You have an event on December 19th. I don't know if we have any folks in the Hollywood area, but... 
let's kind of go through, hit the charity, hit the event, and uh, let's leave the listeners with uh, where they can connect with you. And if they do attend your event, what can they expect that would be different than going to a regional show? Yeah, so if you attended my event, um, Smash Global, which will be Smash Global 9, will be five pro fights. Um, imagine walking into a wedding with all tables, so 25 to 30 tables of 10, where you have seated dinner, so a four-course dinner. It's open bar. It's black tying gown only, uh, red carpet as well, a lot of media, a good amount of celebrities. Um, I'll honor three to four people again, like I did for my last show, which um, if you look it up, I honored Dolph Lundgren, Lou Ferrigno, Mickey Rourke, and Shane Mosey last time, and uh, I'll be doing the same thing this time. And uh, my website is www.smashglobal.com. Ben, the question is, is at what point, what status do we have to get so that we are honored? Or are you going to fly me out there and buy a big sponsorship so I can attend? That's I'm happy either way. I'm happy being honored. <laughs> I'm happy you fly me out there. It's, it's up to you guys. Y'all can determine that later on offline. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I was gonna I was gonna start by ushering my like or uh, offering my like ushering services or something just to <laughs> yeah. be well, in the room. Oh, I mean, you know. Hey, you know what? Maybe we can pitch him on the on the drink selling competition. There you go. So, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Steve, if you're, if you're looking for a bartender, yeah, we I mean, got I'll, it. I'll, I'll, we got it. I'll, I'll, I'll fly out. Yeah, I'll, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> cool. well, listen. Thank you so much for coming on. This was yeah. uh, love talking the fight business, and so um, it's good. It's a different perspective, but the, I think you know some of the stuff that you touched on here is uh, is good insight from someone who runs a business with a different perspective than uh, what you hear to hear on a day to day basis. So, thank you for your time. We'll link to all your stuff in the show notes. Cool, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate it, Steve. All right, Ben. Okay, so first off, a book, Never Eat Alone, is one of the best networking books I've ever read. Um, so if you haven't read that, go pick it up. It's pretty good. Um, the Lambo thing. That really, that was really fascinating, I thought. I didn't know about that. I didn't think about that. I don't know how it applies if there is something in our world that's a little bit closer to home as far as oil and gas that we can be a part of. But I can say this, like being a part of the Bush China Foundation, obviously I, you don't pay to play to do that. It's just kind of something that, that, that I work towards. I've found that being associated with those guys, it does open doors, it does do things. The Lambo thing really hit me, though. What were your thoughts on that? Because I didn't know about that. So I'm going to come back to the Lambo thing, but I think in our industry, the two things that I thought of when he was talking, uh, the easy one is, um, uh, wow, Ooh, a petroleum club, you, you know, the petroleum club uh, you know, in Texas, and then um, the Adam luncheons, which is something that you and I have talked about. Uh, uh, you had something to say about that. Let's hear it. Well, the Adam lunches are like, do I want to go on my Adam lunch rant today? I don't know if we want to go on that rant today. Yeah. Don't, no. You know, we were going to go on a conference rant, and we didn't do that. So let's let's put. Both oh of yeah, those we forgot about that. I'm sorry. For next week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, that's my fault. But uh, but in answer to the you know to the Lamborghini thing, no, that's I mean that's really smart. I, you know, I hadn't. It's interesting because I know some people that are in like I know a, a good buddy of mine is in a like a high end Jeep, one of those groups, um, and and he has found value. And so, but I just never really put it together. When I think about those things, I think about like. You know your country club membership stuff like that, but but no leasing or buying a, a Lambo or, or you know high end car to get in to, to those clubs so to speak. That's that's really that's really intelligent. Yeah, it, it's stuff. funny because you're like, oh, 
that's just a bunch of rich people driving Lambos. What what would that do for me? And it's like, oh, well, duh. It's a bunch of rich people <laughs> driving Lambos. Like, it's like, oh, man, how did I? I don't know if the Lambo again worked for me, but it's like, how did I never make that connection? So I don't know about you, but in the last like hour, I've become like a serious, uh, probably Ferrari. You know, I've become a serious Ferrari uh, enthusiast. <laughs> I, you know, I think I need to, I think I need to go, go to the. There, there's a Ferrari dealership in Midland, right? I mean, I'm sure I can find one somewhere. You know, it's interesting because when you go international, I think it's for Ferrari or Lamborghini. Um, one, I can't remember which one it is. I can look it up by the logo. Um, um, those stores are everywhere. Um, and so like, if you go to, yeah, it's, I think it's the Ferrari stores. Um, and so like you go to South Africa or I was in China. Um, it's, I think it's the Ferrari or the Lamborghini, their stores where their clothing are there. And so it's kind of like the Harley Davidson, but you know, it's, uh, um, but they have the, the clothing stores and the merchandise and this, that, and the other. And so, yeah, I think it's Ferrari, but, um, anyways. And so, you know, I thought that was an interesting thing, but that's, I, I, I guess my final thoughts are, when you bring on something like that, you're thinking, how does this apply? But those are the types of things you have to take, extrapolate, and then pivot to figure out how it fits your industry. And you're right, Petroleum Club or the Atom or, or, or there's probably countless other things that we're, not even, that we're not even considering. But those are the types of things where when you listen to people talk, you have to be able to get those things out of there and then uh, figure out how it applies to you. So. I mean, some people listening to the podcast may find a lot of value in joining, um, you know, like the uh, – like those BNI groups or, or like Toastmasters, those kind of things. I mean, those, those can be valuable. Um, yeah, I, I think there's an argument for that that can be done more effectively or more efficiently, I should say, like out in the field, just kind of by practice. Uh, but those groups can be you know, really good networking tools as well, just kind of as a baseline. Okay. Ben, any, um, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, obviously, but anything else before that? Yeah, no, just uh, have a Thanksgiving to everybody listening. Um, I'm heading down to uh, Houston uh, tomorrow to uh, to be with the family for the rest of the week and uh, looking forward to uh, firing up the podcast on Monday. We'll be back Monday ranting and raving about oil and gas conferences, Adam events, and I'm sure all kinds of other stuff. Oh, 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 oh I got to pitch this. Texas Oil Gas Podcast, we are pushing to get the 200 five-star reviews. Okay? 205 star reviews. We are four shy. Four shy. shy. Yeah, whatever. We're Okay, 29. That's fine. We are shy. So any of these listeners that listen to Texas Oil Gas Podcast, if we get some five-star reviews, Nate Producer Hanson, Nathan Phelps as we call him, we'll take a plunge into Lake Granbury in early, early January where the temperatures will be for rigid. So if you listen to this show and you're like, Nate drives me insane like he does everyone else. I want to get back at him. Five-star review, Texas Oil Gas Podcast. You can also leave one for this show while you're doing that. It takes just a few seconds. So, sorry, Ben, but I know you want to see Nate in the lake, so I need to get that out there. Do you want to see Ryan in the lake as well? I just want to know how many sponsorship dollars is bringing the closers getting for that plug? The same that Kershaw is going to give us. I gotta make a phone call. Thanks to all the listeners, and until next time, keep bumming. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, What happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh. 
My laptop was up there too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about Pete. A- heads up, we've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Well, everyone knows that. February fourteenth. Why would everyone? I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes, I changed it to Valentine's Day. <sighs> okay, we're protected with connection security services. You just gotta be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection.